We are in week five of a series on prayer. How do we pray? How do we pray for ourselves? How do we pray for others? How do we pray consistently and without ceasing, as scriptures tell us, which is what we're going to have a conversation about today. And we're going to start with reading a bit from a letter by the Apostle Paul. And if you're not familiar with Paul, he was uh, the foremost early church leader. He was a shepherd and a pastor and a teacher, and he started and led churches all throughout the ancient Greco-Roman world. And because he couldn't be physically present in all of the places that he was helping support and encourage, he wrote a series of letters. They're called epistles. And a good chunk of the letters in the New Testament come from the Apostle Paul. And one of the first letters he wrote was to the church at Thessalonica. And he spends this letter encouraging the early church, supporting them, wanting to help them feel emboldened and alive in their faith. And he ends his letter with this list of exhortations and of, of ways of living that he wants them as a community to be about. So listen now as we dip into the very end of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Paul says this, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, and here it is, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul wrote similar ideas in a wide variety of places throughout the New Testament. He later writes the longest letter to the church at Rome. And a similar string of commands and requests come. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, and he goes on. In Philippians, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, present your requests, your prayers, your hopes and your desires and your needs to God. In Colossians, he tells us to devote ourselves to prayer. In his understudy, Timothy writes his own set of letters, and in them he says, make prayers, petitions, intercessions, and give thanksgiving for all people. Paul talks over and over about becoming a people of prayer. 
My seminary uh, professor, Dr. Craig Blomberg, pointed something out that I think is interesting. He says what the Bible does not say can at times be as important as what it does say. And do you notice what scripture does not say about prayer? Doesn't tell us, Paul doesn't give us specifics on how to actually be people who are living and praying continuously, praying without ceasing. Jesus gives us instruction. Clearly, we have the Lord's Prayer. The disciples ask him, teach us to pray. But by the time we get to these letters of Paul, he assumes the Christian church, the people of God, the gathered assembly, like we are on a Sunday morning, understand how to do this. He trusts that they know how to pray continuously, how to pray without ceasing, how to be faithful in prayer, which is awesome and quite a bit daunting when we fast forward ourselves 2,000 years later and find ourselves sitting here going, well, what does that look like for me in my life and in this culture that we live in today and we share together? I mean, are we supposed to walk around like monks, kind of in a, maybe a cloak with a wooden cross, just mumbling? Do we pray all day at work? Do we say to our supervisor, I'm sorry, I can't make that meeting or talk to you at all today because I am praying constantly here at work? How many of you would lose your job by five o'clock, right? Are we supposed to pray anything special? The Lord's Prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. Bless us, O Lord, these thy gifts. Is there some secret prayer that we just haven't been taught yet? Is Dan Meyer holding out on us and he's going to teach us something we haven't learned yet? You know, what, what, is this, what does this look like? I remember my grandmother, this sweet um, bohemian woman who was maybe five foot two and kind of equally <laughs> as round in the other way, and she was a devout, devout Roman Catholic woman. And my parents had my sister and I baptized as uh, Roman Catholics very early after we were born. And then after that, my parents wiped their hands of church. And they said, we're done, and we're not going back. And so my sister and I grew up without any faith tradition whatsoever. But when we would get dropped off at grandma's for a sleepover or a time to hang out, my grandma would take us to church. She wanted us to be at her church. And we would go to this tiny little bohemian church, this Roman Catholic church in Cicero, and we would sit there, and she would try to tell us what was going on. And I remember we were late elementary, early middle school, and she gave us what we thought were necklaces. They were rosaries. <laughs> and I remember thinking, this is not going to fly in middle school if I got to wear this thing. But they, they weren't jewelry. They were these beaded loops with this big silver cross on the end. My sister's was periwinkle blue. Mine was sort of this 1950s bathroom pink. <laughs> and I remember thinking, ugh. And she taught us how to pray the rosary. And a series of Our Fathers and Hail Marys and the Apostles' Creed and all that stuff. And I remember taking it very seriously. And it's a beautiful tradition, so this is not um, a negative comment on that tradition. But what came with that rosary was a tremendous sense of suppressing guilt that I worked very hard as a kid to get out from under. Because I would pray it as she taught me, and then as would happen in the life of a child, I would lose the rosary, or it would get lost under my bed or shoved aside somewhere, and I would all of a sudden find it weeks later and realize I was way behind, because I was supposed to be doing this daily, according to my grandmother. And I didn't know 
if praying continuously was like that? If I should try to make up for missed prayers? And I remember prayer having this tremendous guilt attached to it. And I think no matter what form that has come to you in, most of us as Christians will say we might feel a little guilty about prayer. I mean, how many of you when asked about your prayer life would say, nailed it, totally good, nothing else to learn? Most of us wouldn't say that. Most of us will look at the floor and go, well, I don't really pray as much as I want to. And you know, when the Bible says pray without ceasing, well, I'm not sure what that means, but I'll, just, I'll try harder tomorrow. And we do this to ourselves. Praying daily should not come to us out of guilt or out of obligation. It should come to us with joy because we get to connect in prayer to the God of the universe, the creator of all we experience and all we love and hold dear. Is God listening to our prayers? Or is it like Bruce Almighty, right? That movie where he just hits like yes, reply to all, and answers all the world's prayers in one push of the button. Well, I'd like to share with you a few comments on that and a couple just bullet points, as it were, on what this actually looks like. And the first is this. To pray constantly is not to walk around looking at our feet, mumbling in constant conversation with God. It is instead to recognize the presence of God around us all day, every day. There is no such thing as a God-forsaken place. When we pray, we can at times say we were praying and then quote, God really showed up. No, God was there the whole time. We just finally noticed him. God surrounds us. He surrounds our comings and our goings. Scriptures tell us he is there when we rise and he is there when we lie down. And sometimes it can feel in prayer like we are spending a great amount of time trying to capture God's attention. You know, attention getters are an ongoing conversation in our culture. If you work in advertising or marketing, you know this. What color do I have to use in that ad to attract the right amount of people. They say if you show up to a job interview wearing blue, you're more likely to be received as a warm, kind person. So yay to all of you who are wearing blue today. If you wear green, they say you kind of come across as an environmental earthy type. If you're hitchhiking and you're wearing red, you're more likely to get picked up than if you're wearing any other color. Attention getting is what we spend a lot of our time and our lives being about. Any of you who have ever taught something, coached a team, and then thrown your hands up and said, I cannot get their attention. There are people downstairs right now with rooms filled with toddlers. I don't envy them. <laughs> Some of them are your toddlers. My kids play ice hockey, and they spend a lot of time on a sheet of ice with a helmet on that sort of muffles the things that they hear. And ice arenas are these tin cans that just echo a ton. And your kids are down there skating and their coaches are on benches on the other side of the ice. And the number of parents who come down to the glass and start banging on the glass trying to get their kids' attention to change the way they play the game, it's ridiculous. It's crazy-making. God is not some 
kid on the ice who's ignoring you. You don't need to stand on a mountaintop and wave your arms or try to harness the energy of a lightning bolt to catch God's attention. You don't have to be a preacher like me who writes sermons with attention grabbers because that's what it takes to keep us all moving together. God is there. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, puts it this way. Very near the heart of Christian prayer is getting over the idea that God is somewhere a very, very long way off so that we have to shout very loudly to be heard. The first thing to know when we talk about being people who are faithful and consistent in prayer is to understand that sometimes that simply means being aware of the presence of God all around us all the time. The book of Acts puts it this way. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God did this so that they, we today, would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, in God, we live and move and have our beings. Every day we are in the presence of God. The psalmist says this, the Lord is near to all who call on him. So to be faithful, to be consistent and continuous in prayer is to look around and notice the divine that happens in every single moment of our days. It has been several days since we have seen the sunshine, yes? How many of you might look up and go, hallelujah, when God finally decides to bring the 80-degree weather back to Chicago? Right? That is a moment. When you sit around your dinner table and you look into the eyes of the people you love and your bellies are fed and you laugh and you giggle, that is, that is God's goodness sitting with you at your dinner table. And when you lay down after what might be the most tumultuous, grief-filled day of your life, and maybe all it is is 10 seconds of peace that you experience, but you see it, you see that there's hope somewhere, when you experience that in the darkest places, that's God's presence. And recognizing it and calling it out is prayer. That's part of what it means to pray. This is what happened to Moses. The story of Moses with the burning bush. Some of you who grew up in church might know this story. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell the whole thing. But Moses is shepherding his father-in-law's flocks, and he sees this bush burning, but it's not disintegrating. It's just on fire. Of course, this is a curious thing. So he walks over to check this out and realizes that he's in the presence of God that this everyday moment of shepherding the flocks is suddenly saturated with the divine. God says, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. This ordinary dirt you're on, this is my holy ground. And the essayist Annie Dillard comments on this. She says, how long was that bush burning before Moses noticed it? Right? Maybe days, hours, weeks, months, years, decades? How long has God been at work in your life and maybe you've just not noticed it. So to pray continuously is to notice God's presence around us every single day. Second thing, we have to recognize 
but to pray daily is to stop talking and start listening. And for sure, to pray is to bring our words and our needs and our praises from our lips, that's what scripture tells us, to God. But it also means sometimes we just stop talking and we listen. We listen for what God wants us to know. Many of us probably know somebody in our lives who can't stop talking. Do you have these people around you? And you might think to yourself, well, golly, if they would just take a breath for five minutes, I could tell them what I've learned about where they struggle. I could pray for them. I could share with them something that might help them on their journey, that might redirect their path. But they won't stop talking long enough to listen. We can do this with God. Sometimes it's because it's just uncomfortable to pray. We just, we just don't know how to pray. It almost feels like that first awkward high school date you go on where like both of you stop talking at the same time and you're like, well, who's, who talks next? What do I say? What do I say? Don't have to do all the talking. Sometimes we just sit and we listen and maybe you say to God, God, teach me something new this day and you lay down for 15 minutes and you just sit. Or maybe with your morning cup of coffee, you say, Lord, open my eyes to whatever it is you have to show me this day. And you just stop there. It doesn't have to be a litany of prayers. And what God starts to do in those moments is bring to your quieted mind people, places, organizations, needs, things that need God's attention. And he may draw to your mind a group of people or an opportunity or a person that you may never have thought of had you not stopped to just chill out for a few minutes. And that is one of the ways God speaks to us. There are people who have heard the audible voice of God, and that is praiseworthy, but most of us will not experience that. I was tucking my eight-year-old daughter in the other day, and she started crying. And I said, oh, honey, what's wrong? What's going on? And she goes, you always tell me to talk to God, but he never talks back. I was like, oh. Maybe it was a ploy to stay up later, but I don't think so. But we sat and we talked about this. And I said, you know, what do you think of when you lay there waiting for God to answer you audibly? You know, she was waiting. She's a very concrete mind, right, at a very young age. She's, you know, she says, well, what do you think of? She's like, well, I think about, of course, right, how much I love you, Mom, right? She says stuff like that. But she, she had a mind full of things that came to her while she was laying there waiting for God to audibly talk to her back. And all of the things that were coming to her mind were things of God, celebrations, praises, things she was thankful for, comments that she thought were worth musing on. And this is what God does with us. Henry Nouwen says this, Somewhere we know that without silence, words lose their meaning. That without listening, speaking no longer heals. And that without distance, closeness cannot cure. The early church father, Origen, puts it this way. You need to step back from the kind of reactive life that just lets your emotions and instincts splurge out in all directions. Be aware be on guard that your spirit may not be smothered by a welter of thoughts and emotions. Which means sit with it for a little bit. 
Resist the temptation to just spew everything you have to God. There are times where that is all we can offer and that is honest and true when those moments happen. But there are a lot of times where we just feel like we have to fill the airspace and God may be trying to bring something to your attention in the quiet that you will never receive or consider unless we stop doing all the talking. And so to be present and faithful constantly in prayer is to recognize the divine presence every day. It's taking moments to be quiet and listen. And lastly, it's remembering that the purpose of prayer is not to get everything we want. Prayer is not ultimately about me or you, us. God does not call us to be people of prayer so that we can get every single thing we want exactly how we want it. And I, I sometimes don't like that because I have a pretty specific list of how I think life should go. And when I don't get what I want, I get rattled. And of course, my gut instinct is to take my list back to God and say, I don't think you saw this fully. I wasn't asking for edits or corrections. I was telling you, God, this is what I want to make my life happen the way my little world sees it. And the reality is that the more we're aware of God's presence and the more we quiet our hearts, the more we begin to see the world the way God sees the world, not out of our own limited vantage point. When we pray, we join the heart of God. Our hearts beat in tune with God's. And we begin to see people and places and needs. And we begin to bring before God the things that he wants to see happen in this world. The early church father, Gregory of Nyssa, puts it this way. He says, prayer heals relations. Prayer is about reconciliation, justice, and how it changes your attitude to other people and the world. Prayer is not a narrowly private activity. It is about our belonging in the body of Christ and in the family of humanity. And if in prayer we are gradually becoming attuned to the will and purpose of God, then the divine power that comes into us is bound to find its outlet in the healing of relations. The more we are faithful and consistent in prayer, the more we begin to become the people that God has always hoped and intended we would be. Agents of goodness, purveyors of change and justice and mercy, our hearts begin to line up with God's. And we have the ability as Christians to do this every single day, all throughout the day, to move through our lives in a way where we notice God and we notice others and we know when to shut our mouths and listen. And sometimes it just means we know when to harness the thoughts God has put in our hearts and our minds. A couple years ago, it was a family that um, I'm friends with, and the mom was struggling, understandably, because her husband was losing his battle to terminal cancer. Young family, pile of kids, and unless God chose to answer prayers for healing with a miracle, it was very clear that this man was nearing the end of his days, this side of heaven. And 
we were waiting, many of us, for the text to come in to let us know that indeed he had breathed his last here on earth. And when that text came, I was home, and I was loading wash into the dryer. What a mundane activity, right, when somebody just moved on to the choir of heaven. And the phone buzzed on top of the washing machine, and I looked at it, and I saw the text, and I stood there with wet laundry, and I started crying on behalf of this family. And I kept doing my laundry, and I started praying. It's been two and a half years, and every single time I load my dryer, I pray for this family. And I remember that moment. And stuff like that happens to some of you or can happen to all of us. Maybe you take the train to work and every day there's this person on the train that you can't get out of your head and you see thousands of people every day, but this one person won't get out of your head. So pray for them. Ask God what is happening in that moment. Some of you are runners or walkers or you walk your dog or whatever it is and you pass by some house and you pass by lots of houses, but this one house that you don't know anybody who lives in kind of picks at your mind a little bit. So pray for the people in that house. You don't have to know them. You don't have to know anything about what's happening there. But that is the Spirit of God saying to you, now's a good time to pray. This is what it looks like to pray continuously and to pray without ceasing. And I don't know what it will be for each of you loading your dryer or running on the treadmill. You know, I'm not going to pretend to know those things. But God has something and some way for all of us to engage in his heartbeat for others. And so to help you find that, I just want to end our time here together by inviting you to, to take your bulletin, if you, if you grabbed one when you came in today, and inside the bulletin there is an insert that says breath prayer on the top of it. There's so many ways to pray. Like I said, there is not a right or a wrong way to pray. We come to God with our hearts and with our honest intentions and needs. But it helps many times to tap into the history of the saints and the sages who've gone before us. And there was a pr an ancient way of praying called breath prayer. The church uh, mothers and fathers um, also called this the Jesus prayer. And for them, it went like this. They would breathe in and they would say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, and they would just breathe in and they would breathe out and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they would do this over and over again throughout their day. When they felt like it was time to talk or praise God and they just didn't know what to say, it wasn't time to be quiet for them, but it was time to talk at that moment, they would just do this when words failed them. We have access to this same way of praying. The idea for this comes from Psalm 40, verse 13, where it says, Oh God, make speed to save me. Be pleased to save me. Lord, come quickly. Lord, to help me. And over time, throughout history, people have adjusted this prayer to meet the needs of their generation and their cultures. And so maybe what this looks like for you is breathing in something about God that you believe to be true and breathing out a need or a praise that you have. Maybe your prayer would say, Lord Jesus, healer of the nations, restore my broken relationships. Or maybe your prayer would go, Lord, giver of peace, settle my anxious heart. Or maybe God of provision, 
provide me with a job. Or maybe God of rest, help me find time for a nap. (laughs) I don't know what it is for you. But if you need something to help orient you to this conversation, this is one of many ways you could go about it. And I have friends that have done this. I have done this prayer myself. The reason they call it breath prayer is because of that breathe in, breathe out, but also because breath is quite possibly the most unconscious natural activity we do all day long. It's essential for our life, but yet we don't think about it. It just becomes natural. And the idea is that there are times when these prayers will become natural for us. And you may change your breath prayer every day, every week. You may pray the same prayer for 20 years. There's no rule to how long you can pray your breath prayer. But if you find yourself needing just a way to get yourself started in this conversation, go ahead and and, and read up on this and consider trying this. What matters more than anything else, though, is that we try something. Because I want to be that person who stands in that same tradition that Paul was talking to. And I'm hoping that you want to be in that tradition too, where someone like him would say, pray for me, pray continually, pray faithfully. And we would instantly think, I got that. I can do that. I am a person of prayer. It is the high call of the Christian to be a purveyor and a person of prayer. So if you would indulge me in the great honor of praying for all of us as we end this time, and we'll start with some silence, my hope is that by doing so, I would empower all of us, that God would empower all of us to go and be about prayer. So let's just settle in for a second, some silence, and then pray for us. Lord, thank you that you have invited us to the great dialogue that is prayer. That you are not some sort of distant, separated deity who meddles with our lives on occasion, Lord, but you are every day present with us and desperate to move in and through us. So Lord, turn our ears, turn our lives, turn our eyes toward you, Help us find our voices when we need them in prayer. Help us quiet our mouths when we need to. Help us see others as we pray. Bless this amazing group of people and all the lives they lead, the stories that they are writing. Lord, teach them to pray. Teach me to pray. Lord, bless us with your power. Remind us of your presence. And may all that we do every day be done for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said together, amen.